Well, good evening, everybody. I want to echo again what Murph said at the beginning of the service, and hopefully you've experienced and felt even in God's presence in his house here tonight that we're glad that you're here, that we believe it's no acts that you're here, and we believe that God's on the move, and we believe God's doing stuff all uh, around this world in each of our lives, and uh, we pray that something connects for you tonight, that you find something helpful, you find him in a new and refreshing way. That clip grabbed me this week as I was kind of thinking through what, what preaching looks like this weekend on this Memorial Day weekend. And I, I watched a lot of videos, I thought a lot of thoughts, read a lot of headlines, just a lot of, a lot of stuff going through my brain. And, and I'm stuck on this video, even though it's probably geared more or as much for Veterans Day as it is for Memorial Day. There's something about it that just grabbed me this weekend. And I just kind of sat with that and thought about that. And, and I think, here's, here's what I know so far, and maybe God's going to continue speaking to me on this. But isn't there something about sacrifice that just seems to grab us? Right? That just seems to reach out and take hold of us, that captures our attention. And not, not just our attention, but really begins to capture our hearts in this. I, I've watched that video probably a dozen times this week, and, and it just, it never gets old for me. And, and maybe that's also got something to do with the fact that it's a little unique. I mean, it's, it's thinking about the way that we would say thank you to those who have, have given something to protect and defend this country, if not those and the families of those who have given everything. But it seems like it takes an interesting angle, right? It's not thinking um, for the, the more noteworthy parts, the, the parts that seem uh, bigger and, and more, I don't know, captivating, right? Those moments of sacrifice. But it goes back to the beginning, it goes back to the beginning and really details not just the big things in someone's military career or when, when things get really tough, but even the little things, the, the commitment and the sacrifice in that. And as I've been watching about that, I've been thinking about that, a couple questions have come to mind for me this week as well. I mean, when I think about this whole idea of Memorial Day and what it is that we're acknowledging this weekend, what it is that we're, that we're I would say, celebrating this weekend, what people have, have done and what people have given up to protect this country. I mean, two, two things have continued to run through my mind. Number one is this, right? Why is it so easy for us to take everything that we've been given and the sacrifice that others have made? Why is it so easy to take that for granted, right? I, I don't know the answer to that question, but the other one is this. Where, where does it come from, right? Someone's desire to serve, where does that come from? I don't, I don't want to miss that first question of taking for granted. I just, I want to take a moment. I know we talked about it in verbal announcements. I know the video said thank you as well, but if you uh, are in this room tonight and you have served our country, if you served us by serving in the military, I'm not even going to make you stand tonight. I, I, I know some people love that and I know some people despise that, so I don't want to do that tonight. But would all of us gather here tonight, would you just give me a round of applause for those that have served and say thank you. We have so much to be thankful for, don't we? I mean, we have so much to be appreciative for and, and to really, I think, take with us as we even celebrate and set aside a whole day tomorrow to acknowledge that and enjoy this freedom that we've been given. But I don't want to leave that second question behind either. Not only why is it so easy to take it for granted, right? But where, where does it come from? And I've been wrestling with this this week as well. I, I wrestle with this question all the time, right? And not just in our military service, but I, as I think about my relationship with God. Right, as I, I read these pages of scripture and I begin to pour through them and I read the stories about Jesus, not just about Jesus, but I read the stories about the people who followed Jesus right after his time here on this earth and the people that he spent time with and he empowered. Right? And I just ask myself, where does all of this come from? 
And, and as I've dug into it, as I thought about it, I just continue to come back to this idea that I, I can't help but begin to think about just the very heart of God. I can't help but think about just the very nature of God, the, the kind of personality he has, the things that seem to be the top priorities for him, the, the things that he invests his resources in, right? And this idea that I come back to is just that God has this heart of sacrifice, this heart of service. It's, it's the very same thing they talked about in that video, right? Where does this journey begin? It begins with that, and I would say the same is true for God as well. Yet we can find ourselves in these times in life, can't we? Where life just seems to throw a curveball to us. And, and maybe we've grown up with these ideas of God, that he's good and that he's loving. But sometimes our experience just seems to push back on that, doesn't it? Right? If, if God is so loving, then why did fill in the blank have to happen? Right? If God is so loving, then why did he take blank from us? And I think the world is much more complicated than that. And there are times, and believe me, even despite last week's Q&A with all the pastors where I took good notes and even answered some of the questions, some of our Hope Des Moines campus uh, services as well, right? Even us pastors, all of us, everybody, if you're a human being on this planet, you ought to have some questions for God. Because there's a lot on this planet that is hard to get our minds around, even when we hold it up to the scriptures, and yet we live in this confusing world where we say, okay, well, why is this stuff happening? But what helps me, what strengthens me in that time is when I come back to this heart of God. Who is God? It's why we read the scriptures. It's why we celebrate and worship every week. It's why we gather together in community to preach the gospel, to share this good news with ourselves because God loves us and we need some reminders for it. I want to jump in tonight with John 3.16. Because if you needed any evidence tonight that God is for you, that God loves you, what he's willing to do for you, if you're here tonight and you're just wondering, is God even on my side? Let's start with this, shall we? Let's read these words together. John writes in chapter 3 of his gospel, he says, For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I love John 3.16. I mean, it just doesn't get any more simple. Now, there's a reason why it's the most popular verse probably in the entire world because it sums up the entire Bible story, this whole story that God has been telling for centuries. I think you could sum it up in that verse. But I love even later in, in John's gospel, his, one of his other letters, right? First John, also in verse 316, he, he tells some other things to say to us, right? He, he lets us know this is how we know what real love is, he writes, right? The, guy, the fact that God was willing to, to save, to send Jesus to us. Jesus was willing to give up his life for us, right? We're back to this idea of sacrifice. And what I think about in these times when I begin to process all of this, right? This world that we live in and where God's love seems to show up in the midst of it, one of the things that really helps me, I think, is to understand that God's moving us towards this world where things will get better, can you imagine with me for just a second tonight a world where Memorial Day doesn't even need to exist? It's impossible to imagine, isn't it? But can you imagine a day when we don't need to go to funerals anymore, when we don't need to understand, we don't need to look for hope in any other way because it's right in front of us, because we live in this world that's exactly the way God wants it to be. It's where God's kingdom, his will and his way has been fully established. And yet we're not there. But this is what God does. He continually, 
continually, day in and day out, is continuing to work in our world to help put us back together, to put the world back together the way that it's supposed to be. And he's been doing this for centuries, right? He's been doing it throughout the Old Testament as he's been rescuing people. He's been sending prophets to get his people to come back to him. He's been doing it in the Gospels, right? We see this heart of God, the fact that he's willing to sacrifice himself. It shows up throughout not just the part where Jesus dies on the cross and is raised again from the dead, but throughout his ministry, right? And all of this, this heart of God, it carries right into the book of Acts, which we're so excited about. We're, we're going to be studying this entire sermon uh, this entire series, this entire book, this, this whole summer together. We're doing a new sermon series, and this is week one. So if you're here for the first time, you picked a perfect Sunday to come, right? It's called the Summer of Acts. We're going to spend the whole summer looking through this book and really wrestling with what does it mean? What is this Bible book? What does it have to say with what it means for you and I to live as Christians today, to be the church, right? To, to look at what happened originally when things got started. How do we continue to carry that forward? And it's timely that we do this because many of us, right, we're still wrestling with questions of what does it look like to live as Christians. And if you're ever wondering, if you've ever read the book of Acts and, uh, and you've read it, you probably get a sense that it's intense, right, that there's a lot of great stories. But if you've never taken the time to read the book of Acts, I want to encourage you to do it. And I'm even going to tell you a little bit about what it's like to make sure that you do, right? How many of you have ever seen the movie or the TV show 24 with Kiefer Sutherland, right? It's that kind of show where you need to take a shower afterwards because it's intense, right? You're like, oh my gosh, what just happened, right? It's a page turner. The book of Acts is. And it's the exact same way. So that's where we're going tonight. We're beginning at the beginning of the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. If you've got a Bible tonight, I encourage you, open it up. And let's dig in and see. Luke uh, is telling quite a story here. And so we want to jump right in and get to it. This is what Luke, uh, one of Jesus' disciples, one of the apostles, right? He wrote a gospel. Well, this is like the 2.0. It's the, the next chapter, the next part of the story building right onto it. And listen how he begins. Verse 1, he says, in my first book, right, the, the gospel of Luke that we have, he says, Theophilus, who he's writing to, uh, he wrote about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven even after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that character, the, the Holy Spirit here in just a little bit. During the 40 days after, he says in verse 3, he suffered and died, he appeared. So Jesus comes back after he's died and he appears to these apostles, the, the people he'd spent his time training and to carry his mission and to carry his movement forward to rescue this world. He appeared to them from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. So Jesus is coming back already, right? He just died. He did the whole raise from the grave thing. Everybody's like, where is he? Where's his body? Right? And he heads, uh, he begins to appear back to his disciples and he begins to convince them so they'll believe because even the people that spent three years with Jesus still needed to see some signs so we can cut ourselves some slack, right? If we ever experience doubts or wonder about this whole God thing, the people who walked with Jesus had questions about all this. So he comes back and he does this and then he does this. He talks to them about the kingdom of God. He wants to shore things up. He wants to make sure that everybody's in place because there's a, about to be a left turn in this whole thing. He's about to give them some bigger instructions and he needs to make sure his team is ready to go. Jumping down to verse six, he comes to them and uh, they, these apostles, these disciples, they have a question for Jesus. Verse six, Lord, they say, has the time come for you to free Israel, the nation that they were living in, 
and restore our kingdom? Has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Basically, they're asking Jesus, if you're wondering what's going on here right now, they're asking Jesus the question that every single kid in every single road trip has asked every single parent in the history of humanity when they're sitting in the back of the car and you're driving someplace on a road trip. What is the question? It's like you know, right? You've experienced this. Are we there yet, right? They are looking at all this and they're saying, okay, Jesus, right? It's time for you to come and uh, give us the good stuff. Yeah, we're glad that you died and, uh, and you rose again. Ooh, that was a really cool trick, right? But Jesus, when are you going to come back? When are you going to come and trample and walk all over this nation that's ruling over us, right? We want Israel to be the most powerful nation in the world. The Romans seem to think they're it, right? That, all that in a bag of chips. Jesus, when are you going to come back? and start marching all over these people, and you become the king. That's a little different than what Jesus had uh, to say and what he meant when he said so much of what he said throughout Luke's gospel. In fact, I think what Luke wants us to understand is we begin this whole story of how life progressed and the church evolved after Jesus spent his time with his disciples on this planet, I think he wants us to get a sense of where it all began and how even in the beginning, they didn't quite have it all figured out. Throughout his gospel, though, to dig into this, to understand a little bit better, throughout his gospel, it's worth looking at Luke, uh, Luke's previous writings. He loved to refer to the disciples as the 12. Everybody say the 12. 12. Sounds like a gang or something, right? The gang of 12. Right? Well, this is what we refer to them. And, and if you know any Jewish history, any Jewish culture, then the 12 is going to be, it's a number to jump out of you, right? Because as God showed up, as he did this covenant, this promise with this guy named Abraham, and, and he allowed uh, Abraham's descendants to become this whole nation that would become Israel, they found themselves organized in these 12 different tribes. 12 tribes, 12 disciples. It's not an accident that that number is the same. Because what Jesus is doing and what he has been doing throughout Luke's gospel is dropping some serious hints that he's come to renew and to restore, right? Only he looked at it a little differently and he saw it as a little bit different kingdom. They're thinking military and conquest. Jesus is thinking are real enemies. Enemies like death and hate and all these other things. So Jesus has been dropping these hints so it makes sense that they're asking this question, but they're confused, and they ask this, they say, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And Jesus replies, it's above their pay grade. It's not time for them to know, but instead he says this. He goes to Acts chapter 1, let's look at verse 8. He comes to them and he says, you will be my, everybody say witnesses. You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. So they come and they say, Jesus, isn't it time for us all to get a promotion, right? We're going to join your cabinet and we're going to take over this whole city and we're going to run this place, right? And Jesus turns and he says to them, no, 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 you're going to be my witnesses. And they're like, what? Right? As a kid, this was confusing to me. I heard a pastor say this one time or something and I thought like church was going to change into a courtroom and I would have to like go and put my hand on the Bible and take an oath, right? And take the stand and testify about something. Right? No, no, that's, that's not what Jesus means either. What does he mean by witnesses? Well, when you begin to look through it through the eyes of a first century person, it begins to make a lot more sense. In Jesus' day, a day of kingdoms and a day of empires, 
when someone new would take the throne, right? When someone's authority would be established, the way that they would cement that authority, they would let the rest of the world know about it is by uh, taking heralds and sending out heralds or messengers throughout the kingdom and throughout the territory in question to let them know the good news, right? Even in the Roman Empire, when Caesar uh, would become emperor or Nero or whoever it was, emperor, they would send out this good news and they would say, it's the gospel, right? And they would share this. They would say there's a new king, that everything has been conquered, that your enemies are under control, that you have nothing to worry about. Well, just as they would say that, right, with the military and they send out the messengers, well, the same was true in God's kingdom. Jesus has just conquered all of our enemies. Think about Matthew 28 for a second. The Great Commission, Jesus says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, right? That is not a small statement. That's who Jesus is saying that he is. And so what does he do? He says, I want to send out my witnesses. I want to send them out just as kings have been doing for centuries to declare that there's a new king in town, only this king is different. Not only has he conquered other enemies like the military, but he's willing to conquer even death. And so Jesus sends out his people as witnesses, but they're not just witnesses in this sense. He sends them even broader. Let's jump to the next slide. Right? He sends them everywhere, to Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. He sends them to the near and to the far but there's something interesting about this. When you look at this, the Samaria is the one that's different, right? Jerusalem is where they are. Judea is the state that they're in. The ends of the earth is as wide and as far as you can think. But Samaria, well, that's to the north. And there's something interesting buried in this. Not only does Jesus want to send us near and far, but he also wants us to send us to the people that we like and the people that we can't stand. Samaritans and Jews, oil and water. And so there's something in there for that. This whole idea of God sending people, sending us to make a difference, to share his love, though, is nothing new, right? John chapter 21, uh, 20 verse 21, is the Father has sent me, so now I am sending you. God has designed you and he's equipped you tonight to go and share his good news, to go and not just tell the good news, but to demonstrate the news, to be good news, that there's a new king, that Jesus, the God of the universe, no matter what happens, no matter what situation, no matter what you're up against, is bigger than that situation. That the world is being put back together the way that it should be. It's who God is, and it's what his heart drives us to do. So we think about this idea of being witnesses, right? We have sharing our faith, and yet we can have so many reservations about this, right? Sometimes we think, oh my gosh, what would I say, right? I'm no Bible expert. I will tell you guys, I went to seminary and I don't think I'm a Bible expert. I mean, I'm across the hall. I have the office across the hall from Pastor Richard. If you know Pastor Richard, you know how daunting that is, right? This guy is a Bible expert. We, we all say that from time to time. Sometimes people will say, well, I don't know what others are going to say. I don't want to offend other people, right? We're having fun. Why would I go and make it all weird talking about Jesus? Some of us, though, we would say more along lines is we just don't have what it takes or we, we doubt ourselves that we have anything to offer. Some of us have caught this disease that's going around. It's called the justice sickness. Have you heard about this? The justice sickness? I think it goes a little something like this, right? I'm just a stay-at-home mom, right? I'm just an accountant. I'm, I, I can't 
I can't possibly say anything that's going to help or encourage another person or, or let them know that God loves them. I couldn't do anything, right? I'm just a retired school teacher. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, tonight, what the good news is, is that God has given you everything you need to share his good news. You may find yourself, though, here tonight saying, I can't do this on my own. And if that's you tonight, I want to let you know Jesus agrees with you. Right? When it comes to sharing our faith, when it comes to joining God in his bigger mission, right? Our mission is a church to reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. We can't do that on our own. We need God's help. And that's why the best part, I believe, of Acts chapter 1 is this. Let's jump back to Acts chapter 1. Right? Look how this begins, this whole passage. He says, but you will receive power. Everybody say power. The Greek word here is the same word for dynamite. Did you know when the Holy Spirit is inside of you, it's as powerful as dynamite, right? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he says, out of this, you will be my witnesses telling people about me wherever you may find yourself. Jesus knew that you needed some help. He knew that you needed someone to lead you, to guide you, to help you, to, to direct you through this. Now, I was thinking about this, right, the significance of the Holy Spirit and what it means for us. I couldn't help but think about the fact that once upon a time, about 10 years ago, I was once a guide as well. I got to be a guide on the, the Flathead River, on the North Fork of the Flathead River uh, in, in Montana. It looked a little something like this. Right? Check this out. Does this look like heaven on earth or whatever? If you've seen a river runs through it, that's basically where I was, Right? And so this is one of my jobs is uh, one of the summers in between uh, years of college. I got to be a raft guide. This little Iowa guy got to go be a raft guide. And I loved every part of it. I mean, look at this place. It's beautiful, right? And I kind of like being outdoors. I thought it was awesome. They paid me to do two things that summer, to tell uh, kids about Jesus. And then number two was to get the kids down the river safely. I loved everything about this job except when the groups of kids would show up. I don't know what it is about Minnesotans, especially these groups of Minnesotans, they'd come out here and they, they would just kind of look at this whole place, right? And, and I knew I was in trouble the first time one of these church groups showed up to go on this rafting trip with me and the girl looked at me and she's like, wait a minute, the trail isn't even paved to this river. And I looked at her like, are you crazy? This is the western border of Glacier National Park, right? I, they were shocked when they got in the raft and one of the girls got splashed. She's like, ooh, this water is cold. I'm like, it's Glacier National Park, right? Do you see the snow up on that mountain? Where do you think this water is coming from, right? I'm trying to give these people instructions on what to do if their raft flips over or how to steer and to watch out for bears and all this different stuff, right? You know what they're doing? They're whacking each other with paddles and making jokes about each other, right? I mean, we put them out there and we get ready to go in this river and I'm just thinking, these are the last people that should be out here on their own. Right? Without me, this group of teenagers doesn't stand a chance. They need someone to guide them. Honestly, almost to save them from themselves. And I wonder if God isn't saying the same thing to you and I tonight when it comes to this Holy Spirit. Acts, not Acts, but John chapter 14 as Jesus is preparing his disciples to send them out, he says, I will ask the Father. He'll give you another advocate who will never leave you. 
He's the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. It's powerful the way that God loves us, what he's given us in this Holy Spirit. Some other verses just to check out tonight. This stuff kind of shows up all over the place. Let's go to John 20. Right, again, he said, peace with you. This is Jesus, he's wrapping up. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And again, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. Right, this idea of sharing our faith in the Holy Spirit, they go hand in hand. We need both of these things. But it's not just an ordinary spirit. Let's jump to the next slide. 2 Timothy 1.7, right? What kind of spirit has God given us? For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but a power of love and self-discipline. I love Romans 8. Let's jump to the next slide as well. Have you ever wondered what to pray for? The Holy Spirit's here to help us with that as well. It helps us in our weakness. It prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. God's given you everything you need, not just to share good news with people, but to be good news for people. This world around us that's crying out for love, and quite honestly, for God. But what does it look like? I got an acronym here tonight just to help you to begin to wrap your mind about this, right? I mean, if, if you and I are called to be the kind of people who show up and, and bring the power and the goodness and the grace of the king of the universe into people's lives, you'd think it'd be this high-tech stuff, right? Really complicated, but it looks a little different. The acronym tonight is BLESS, B-L-E-S-S. Number one is begin with prayer, right? Turn it over to God. Number two Listen, to begin to listen to people, right? Do you know how rare that is for somebody to have someone actually listen to them? We can jump a couple slides here to the, uh, there you go. Right, number three, one of my favorite commands in Scripture, when Jesus sends out the 72, he tells them to go and to knock on the door, and if you get welcomed in, go and spend some time with those people and tell them about God, tell them about God's love for them. But he also says this, he says, eat, Eat everything that is put in front of you, right? I love that command. I love that God uh, encourages us to eat because it allows us to, to connect with people, right? To, to slow down and to be with them. But eventually it moves into more tangible ways that we can be good news for other people, right? This whole idea, not only do we begin with prayer, not only do we listen, do we eat, but we serve. We serve other people. And here's what I love about this. Because sometimes we serve people. Everybody tried to serve you in a way that wasn't the most helpful, Right? If you begin with prayer, though, if you listen, if you spend time with them, people are going to tell you how to serve them. And if all these things have happened, eventually, I believe the Holy Spirit's going to open up a window for you, not to preach at people, not to go into 52 reasons why you should believe in Jesus, but it's going to be an opportunity to share your story. Right? Nobody can argue with your story about the amazing things that God has done for you. And yet, we wrestle with this, right? We know that sharing our faith is a part of it. We understand that, but there are these challenges that come through it. So what I wanna let you know tonight as we close is just this idea, again, that God has given you everything that you need to be his witness wherever it is that God wants to send you, right? If you ever enjoyed a good meal, you go to a good restaurant, you, uh, maybe you read a good book or you go to a movie, right? What do we do? We tell other people about it. I'm convinced that we share the things that we love with the people that we truly love. But if you don't want to take my word for it, go back to Matthew chapter 5. 
Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount, he looks at his disciples, and I think he says it to all of us here tonight as well. He says, you are salt and light. He doesn't say, if you want to try really hard, you can become salt. You can. No, he says, you are, you already are salt and light. And so the question for us walking out of here tonight isn't, isn't do I want to be salt, do I want to be light? It's how salty do I want to be? How much flavor of God's love do I want to add to the lives of the people around me? Right? How bright do I want my light to shine? I kept thinking about this, wrestling with this, and I was reminded as well of a commercial I saw just a few years ago. Right? It was a commercial that God used to speak to me. And when I began to think about this, right? I mean, what if this idea of sharing our faith being witnesses, what if it's not something that we have to do, but what if it's something that we get to do? Right? What if it's not an obligation? But what if God's inviting us tonight to reframe the way we think about this whole thing, right? When we were young, we learned about pioneers. I always thought, man, that'd be so awesome to be a pioneer, to explore new territory, to take these risks, to see what is out there. Frontiers are all around us. God's given us everything that we need. The question is, where's your frontier? Let's pray. I want to invite you to stand as we pray tonight. God, we say thank you for your love and for your grace. God, for the power of your word. Lord, for the fact that you love this world way too much to leave it alone. God, as we think about the sacrifice of soldiers have made for this country, God, we think about the sacrifice that you've made for us. God, about the fact that you love us so much, you sent not just your son, but Lord, you sent your Holy Spirit here as well tonight. And so God, as Perry opened at this service, God, we invite you here tonight, not just into this room, God, but into our hearts. Lord, speak to us, fill us up, empower us. And God, give us a passion for you and for this world that you've called and equipped us to love. God, speak to us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.